Hey everyone, welcome to the NetSuite podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Fisher, and I'm teaming up to co-host this episode with our NetSuite business and finance editor, Megan O'Brien. Hi, Megan. Hi, Kendall. Thank you so much for having me. This is all very exciting. It is very exciting. I'm, you know, I've been bugging uh, Fritz to, to let you co-host with me, not let you, but I've been telling him, hey, I think Megan and I should co-host an episode together. So I'm excited. We're finally doing it. Previously, we've had Ian McHugh actually take over for a couple episodes. So, you know, we're just shaking it up on this podcast. I love it. Um, but since this is your first time co-hosting, I thought it would be nice for our audience to get to know you with none other than a fun fact. Hate to be cliche, but I know you have a lot of fun facts, Megan. So I, I got to ask you. Oh my gosh, let me just pull from the stockpile. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, my go-to uh, lately has been I once bungee jumped off the Victoria Falls Bridge in Zimbabwe, Africa. Um, it was a great thing to do because now I have a very easy go-to for a fun fact. Uh, but it was arguably the most terrifying moment of my life. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is a great fun fact. I don't right? have so anything like that. <laughs> I'm afraid of heights. So bungee jumping is just not a thing for me, but I know, you know, you're also a runner. You, you run marathons, which I think is insane. Um, we've, we talked a lot about that. And so I was wondering where you were going to go with this, but, uh, but yeah, that's a good one, Megan. That's a good one. Oh, um, you. And as much as I could talk about all your fun facts, I think it's important that we probably get to the topic at hand here and why you are actually helping me co-host this episode. Um, we're going to be joined by Glenn Hopper, Sandline CFO and author of Deep Finance, Corporate Finance in the Information Age. Yes. So I actually read the book and we're going to dive into a few of the topics that Glenn touches on from what it means to be a new age CFO, what he thinks CFOs, why CFOs need to know data science and how practically speaking, more companies can help their finance team gain those skills. That's right. Um, of course, with that, we're also gonna touch on technology and the buzzwords of all buzzwords, digitization and digital transformation. But we're gonna do it different. We're gonna ask really for Glenn to define it, what it is, what it isn't, and how to get your team across the organization on board in adopting it. And he even touches on NetSuite and how he plans to use it to become a more data-driven organization. So that was a very exciting point. Yes, for sure. Um, and with that, Megan, you know what? I think we got to get right into this interview. Let's do it right after this. You're listening to the NetSuite podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Glenn. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Kendall. Glad to be here. Um, we are, we, Megan has actually told me a lot about you, as I noted in the introduction to this episode, um, she has read your book. So we're excited to interview you today and, and dive into some of that. Yeah. Th uh, thank you both. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. And where are you recording from today? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. One of my favorite cities. I have always said that if I could move anywhere and I've, 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 
through this job, which I'm, I'm very lucky before COVID, um, I was able to travel to all different parts of the country and world to visit customers and chat with them and interview them. And I have to say Nashville is my favorite city. It's the one city that, and weirdly Oklahoma city where I was like, I could actually see myself moving here. Um, so I I'm big fan of Nashville. Love it. Well, you know, um, Oracle is building the, uh, the big facility here in Nashville too. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful space. I know with a couple thousand job opportunities, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe one day I'll make my way over there. I've, I'm, I'm actually from, uh, born and raised right outside of Los Angeles and currently live in Santa Monica. Um, haven't left the, the West coast, but I, I feel like one day it'll happen one day. I'm looking forward to it. And Megan, you're in, um, Colorado, right? I am, uh, right in Denver. Nice. Nice. So all of us tuning in from, from different parts, uh, parts of the country, which I love, um, probably a lot chillier where you guys are than where I am in Santa Monica. Although it did get to like 58 degrees the other day, which is a big deal here. So, (laughs) um, cold weather winters here finally. (laughs) Um, so I think, I think we should kick things off. Um, Glenn, before we really dive into, you know, the topic at hand and, and, and your book and, um, some of the themes within it. How about you tell us a bit about your background and your path to becoming a CFO? Sure. Um, you know, I used to think this was unusual. So I would always, I would, uh, sort of caveat how I came into the CFO role, um, as you know, I didn't do the typical CPA public accounting controller to, to CFO role, but I'm seeing more CFOs now that have a similar path to what I've had. I came um, in a previous life. I was a journalist and then I went to business school and then I worked in marketing and uh, from marketing ended up uh, becoming the de facto uh, numbers guy for the marketing group, I guess, just because I could use Excel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I always say that the reason that I was uh, promoted quickly in finance was uh, I was really good at Excel and PowerPoint. And it was, mm-hmm. and this was in the late nineties, you know, back in the day when they still had Clippy on all the Microsoft apps. So uh, the fact right. that I could use these two pieces of software was more impressive than anything I knew on the finance side, I guess. But uh, yeah, so I came, um, I came from the business, well, came from the marketing side and then the business side. My first finance role was reporting for the uh, COO of a telecommunications company. And he basically wanted his own finance guy within his group to help, uh, I think, to help him lobby for bigger budgets when he was going to the finance group every year. But uh, it was really good coming up in finance that way, because I did get to, from the beginning, I had this collaborative approach to it in that, um, you know, in finance, it's easy if you just are in finance and you don't work within the departments, it's, Mm -hmm it's easy to just kind of live in your ivory tower and not understand the needs of the other groups. And I think that really founded my approach to finance. And it's something that stuck with me, um, you know, now 15 years and what, four different CFO roles later. Yeah, for sure. And I, we're going to actually get into some of what you just said, um, which I love, but you know, you, it's, I love that you said that, uh, in another life, you were a journalist. Um, welcome to, welcome to my life. I actually yeah. studied broadcast journalism, um, and started off in, in, uh, entertainment news, um, before, before coming over to NetSuite. Um, so it was, I was going to actually ask you what, why did you decide to write a book? But now I, you have a writer's background, don't you? That's it. Yep. 
And that it did that kind of basically make you like realize, oh, I can, I can take the best of both of my lives. Um, I'm air quoting right now and, and, uh, and write a book out of this or, or what kind of led you to that? Well, it's funny. I've, uh, I've always wanted, to, you know, you've all got sort of the, uh, that secret life that you might've lived in another universe. And for me <laughs> being a writer, a fiction writer would have been, um, that secret life. Um, I, uh, I always, I do think that my journalism background contributed to my success in finance, just being able to communicate what what I was doing in finance. And I think that making it accessible, I was half joking about being good at PowerPoint, but really it was not about being good at PowerPoint. It was taking these complex models and being able to explain them to the people in the other groups in the company and or investors or board members or, or whoever the audience is. And the journalism was a great background for that. But it's also through the years, I find myself when I'm trying to figure something out, I'm when I want to dive deeper into something, I'll decide to go write a blog or an article about it. So I've always been a, a blogger and I've got a, you know, I post on Medium all the time and, and various mm -hmm. platforms. And I, as I have been going through the past few years, I've been, uh, as I've discovered things, I've written articles about them and many of them published, many of them not. But a couple of years ago, I looked and I thought, I've got, you know, 60,000 words of of business process articles here. You know, what is something I could do with this? And that's kind of what led to the book and really just doing this for as long as I have. And do, by doing this, I mean, being a CFO in a startup environment, I'm, I'm seeing that I'm the same issues and problems and challenges are coming up in, in multiple companies. And I thought, well, if I'm experiencing these other people are too. So my approach to the book was, what if I could lay out a roadmap based on what I've learned and what I've seen? And it's funny, I'm, I'm kind of absorbing everything you're saying. And you, I think you're just preaching to the choir here, because I'm the same way where I come across a concept or something, and I, I have to write it out. And some things, some things get published, some just live in my notes. And that's, that's fine with me. Um, but it's also interesting to touch on kind of your unusual path to being a CFO because um, I used to work for a big four company where we we would work with uh, various CFOs and help them kind of develop and uh, come up with strategic game plans for where they were going. And some did have the very typical, like I was a CPA and I did this and then I became CFO. And some really came out of left field and it, it really came down to that root of communication, like you said, they were able to lead and communicate and take something complex and distill it down. So it's great to hear how your journalism background really informed that. Yeah, absolutely. I think being able to effectively communicate, no matter what your role is, I mean, it just adds so much value when you can, you know, think about if you were an engineer or a physicist or whatever, it's, you know, half of what you do is, is so obscure and abstract that nobody understands it. But if you can then take it and make it applicable to a general audience, it's, uh, you know, you become like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of, uh, of the industry, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Cause we all need someone just to explain certain things to us. I'm constantly looking for that. So you work for a company called Sandline right now. Can you explain uh, the company, what it is that they do? Sure. So Sandline is an e-discovery company, which is a kind of legal technology. 
And the simplest way to explain it is, you know, in any, any lawsuit, whether you're a plaintiff or a defendant, there's the discovery phase of the lawsuit. And it is, there's interrogatories where uh, there are questions sent over to, to both parties. And there's discovery or depositions where people are interviewed um, heading into the case. And then there's, um, in, there's also turning over of documentation. And for years ago, it would have just been, you know, whatever, empty out your file cabinet with relevant files and fill a banker's box and send them over. Um, but with the advent of, you know, digitization of everything in the business world and every everything from emails to CAD drawings to social media posts, I mean, these are all admissible, but there's so much data out there and it's so difficult to gather that it, you can't just send over, you know, a couple of paralegals with bankers boxes anymore. So there's a whole industry around the collection, processing and production of this data, uh, you know, sorting through it and determining what's relevant, what's not, what's privileged, what's not. And it's, um, it's a pretty interesting industry because there is a, there's a SaaS component to it. And there's also a transactional component, kind of a time and materials component. We have expert project managers who help with going through um, all this all this information and uh, preparing it for the clients. It's um, it's a pretty complex industry and it's one that's pretty fun to be in right now. There's a whole lot of M&A activity in it, a whole lot of new technology coming in. We're using a lot of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence on analyzing these documents. And it's a, it's, I've been, this is my second company that I've been with in this industry. And it is, uh, it's, it's been really fun um, just to see how much it changes and moves and all the M&A and, and new technology coming out on a seemingly you know monthly basis. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, something we talk about a lot, just all, you know, not just new technology, but all the data that's right at our fingertips and how to sort through that and make sure you have the right data to make the right decisions at the right time. Um, we talk about that a lot when it comes to our um, tool net suite, suite analytics, and, and really how that automate, automates that for you. But, um, it's a huge challenge. Our, our audience, um, well, our, our customers and our, uh, businesses in general face. Yeah. And it's right in line with what I talk about in deep finance. It's <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, I mean, especially considering all the complexity and the, the movement going on, um, what does a typical, and I'm also using air quotes right now, what does a typical day in your shoes look like and how has that evolved over the past two years? Yeah, so two years is an interesting timeline because um, two years ago I was at a different company and I was brought in by the board of directors um, to help prepare the company for sale. And a lot of what I write about in the book is comes from lessons I learned in, in that and things that I saw in that transaction. But once that company was sold, I moved over to this company who's not looking to sell, but they're looking to put themselves in a better position to be an acquirer of other companies um, as time goes on. And so the difference between what I was doing in my last company and what I'm doing now, so that was one year at the last company and then my year that I've been at Sandline, um, I knew that one of the first things I needed to do was start to sort of wrangle the disparate systems that the company was using and be able to start getting a handle on the data that we have and on our processes and procedures. So I decided, you know, the first 
few months were kind of getting my feet wet and doing some sort of forensic accounting to clean up the books from before I got there. And then as soon as that was done, I started moving in earnest with deciding to adopt NetSuite, not just for the accounting side, but also as our de facto CRM and our project management tool. So my typical day for the past, since we signed on with NetSuite has been more of, it's been more project management than uh, CFO, honestly. I mean, I'm still, I have to, you know, review the invoices, close the months, report the financials and all that. But my day-to-day existence is on navigating, getting everybody on board, helping sort of train the trainers within our company on how to use NetSuite, deciding what we're going to put in there, what we're not, data migration. And it's been an interesting challenge. And it's a step back from what I, you know, I, I think my favorite thing to do is just get lost in a huge FPNA model and budgeting stuff out with uh, polynomials and stuff. But I'm so excited about making the move that I am that it's, you know, it's it feels very foundational and it's fun to build and know where all these data pieces are and that I'm collecting them and that I'm aggregating them in a single system. Um, so we're coming very close to actually going live with NetSuite and then I'm uh, hoping I can spend more of my time sort of geeking out on the data and building, uh, you know, like like you talked about the uh, the analytics side. Um, but for really for the past few months, I've been a, a almost a full time project manager. I think uh, I think you might be the first person to say that they enjoy polynomials. In a, in a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or at least on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate that. I, I wish I did. <laughs> High school um, me would be making so much fun of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> know what? I, I, it works for you. Yeah. So um, in terms of after implementation in NetSuite, um, you kind of mentioned getting into the data analytics more. Uh, can you kind of dive into that and just an overall sense of how you think your role will evolve post-implementation? Yeah. And I think how my role will evolve is how I see, and and we'll see how this shakes out, but it's how I see all CFO roles evolve. It's crazy right now to think there is, it's hard to, if you name any finance function, I bet we know a piece of software out there, cloud, you know, cloud-based, whatever that um, automates that, whether it's expense tracking or AP management, AR management, even, even closing the books. There is software out there. Most of it these days is RPA, robotic process automation. But all the stuff that we historically did is getting automated. And what I am pushing for is not that we need to eliminate jobs, but that we need to change the skill set and what finance as a department can do going forward. So whereas there used to be someone who s- sat there and manually entered invoices or uh, created, you know, generated invoices for the company to send out or tracking expense reports, you still have the same number of people. But instead of doing that, instead of doing that mindless work, they're doing more mindful tasks and they're thinking more strategically. So I think that the pandemic has driven a maybe accelerated a lot more of the 
digitization is that did I throw an extra syllable or is that um, <laughs> there you yeah, go the so digitization that's, that's, that works of, for us yeah <laughs> of the uh of the workplace I think that you know by everyone being remote and trying to solve for this um I think that that's accelerated some things but I also think if you are not moving with that that you're going to be caught flat-footed and you're going to the growth is coming so fast now it's not linear it's exponential and if you're slow to adapt to it you're going to get left behind and e either either your company is going to get left behind or you as a practitioner you as a cfo or a controller or, or whatever uh role you have in the company if you're not evolving then you're going to be obsolete in five or ten years so a big thing that i'm pushing for is if you think about finance's role in an organization historically you know it's been the the record keeper and you just report the numbers and I, for years you know finance guys just just called the bean counters and that sounds like a very boring job in and of itself but you're in this position you're in an impartial role impartial meaning your skin in the game you know you're not going to favor sales and marketing over operations um you know over any other group um, you're just looking, you're an objective Socratic observer of the data. And so in, in my roles in finance, I've sort of become over the years, the keeper of the, uh, KPIs for all the groups. And mm -hmm. because of that, and because, and it really started out of, um, FP and a of financial planning and analysis of building the budgets and trying to take this old or whatever data I could get and apply it. To a predictive model for the future but as you start gathering more of this data you start to see the same metrics um and metrics that would make sense so long-winded answer to say that i see the chief financial officer with the right skill set and with the right people could also be the chief data officer of a company and i think that the analytical skills that make you good at finance also make you good at data but you can't just be a finance guy anymore because i i think that that it's going to be harder and harder to find value as a human being and not a machine as just a finance guy. Right. So is this you, in your book, you talk about the new age CFO. Is this the new age CFO you're talking about? Somebody who could be a data analyst and a, a head of finance, or what would you define as a new new age CFO? What qualities do you need to become yeah. one? Yeah. So I think that, I mean, if you think about the tools that we're using have changed, I mean, I, honestly, to be, you know, the, the basics of accounting, you think of debits and credits and how long has it been since, I mean, I, I guess accountants actually do, you know, still look at the debits and credits, but for me, it's just um, as, you know, as a finance guy, it's, I'm not thinking about, oh, debit this account and credit this account because software, you know, you just enter the invoice and it either it knows through, um, machine learning or uh, just rules of, you know, how to code it, but you're not right. thinking about the actual debits and credits. So the nature of the job is changing. So, you know, accountants have to have uh, their CPE hours, uh, you know, finance people don't, uh, but any job that you're having, you've got to have, um, you've got to stay up to speed on what the latest is, is going on. And, you know, yes, if, you know, in finance and accounting, you have to understand the new lease rules and how the IRS treats lease, that kind of stuff. That's fine. But that can even be automated as well. You have to see where the value and the role comes from and where it's going. So to be a new age CFO, you're using all these automated tools. Great. You've, uh, you've streamlined your department. You can close instead of 
taken 15 days, maybe now you can close in five days. And then there's this whole continuous close process that's going on as well. So that's cool. You know, you're getting the information faster, but more and more is automated. So what, what can you do to add value to the business? And if you're going to be a strategic partner to the rest of the C-suite, you've got to have some of these predictive analytics in your tool belt. And I think it makes sense because it is tied to the financials. And, you know, if I know, you know, sales and marketing maybe is looking at churn if you're a subscription-based product or, um, you know, other things, but as you're modeling as a finance guy, you want to know churn as well. So you sort of have to start finding ways to gather all this data and then use your analytical skills that you used in finance to apply to the rest of the key metrics of the business. And then, um, then you become a more valuable strategic partner. Hey, Jim, thanks for coming. Are you kidding? I never miss one of your dinner parties. How's the new job? We're growing fast and I stopped working weekends thanks to how much smoother everything runs on NetSuite by Oracle. Fantastic. Uh, we're still using QuickBooks. Why haven't you upgraded to NetSuite? Uh, we're making QuickBooks work, sort of. Shh, watch your language. The kids are right there. Sorry, Amy. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. And 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control since upgrading from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Yeah, sounds like it's time for me to switch to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash Kim. Head to netsuite.com slash Kim for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. netsuite.com slash Kim. Well, you just basically segued perfectly into my next question. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me in your book is this idea of some businesses look at finance teams as a cost center. How do you change that? How do you really transition finance teams into more of a value center and a valuable strategic partner? You touched on it a little bit, but do you mind kind of diving into that a little more? Yeah. And it's funny and it is so hard. Um, you know, as a finance guy, you want an ROI on everything you're going to spend money on. And then as a finance guy, I also realize, okay, you know, it's like when you ask sales and marketing, well, what's the ROI on this ad spend? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's very hard to come up with, but, but, uh, you know, as the finance guy, you want to really push them into it. So, um, and I think that any part of the business that is considered a, uh, and I'm doing air quotes now, cost center is, you know, that seems like a, a dirty word and, you know, you don't, you want to be contributing to the bottom line. And if you think about maybe what finance was, uh, it was necessary, but even let's say 20 years ago when there, it really was just, Hey, I'm going to make sure, you know, it's compliance, it's closing the books. It's, just I'm going to tell you how the business is doing. We're going to do some FP&A, some budgeting, um, but that's kind of it. And you know, it's it's kind of a necessary evil, I guess, to be able to uh, report on how the business is doing. But beyond that, um, you know, where's the value that finance is bringing to the business? So I think over time, and I think technologies uh, enabled this a lot um, to become more and more forward-looking and as you can build more complex models and uh, really get better at predicting the future and at identifying trends. Um, yeah. And so I think that 
I don't know. There's there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is, you know, you're flying an F-22 fighter jet um, and it costs whatever it, it costs. And it's, you know, it's got its flight controls and its armament and, and whatever. Um, and the question is, you know, what is what is the navigation system cost on this fighter jet? And um, it kind of doesn't matter because with all the other cool things that it has, if you don't know where you're going, it's not you know, it's not living up to its potential. So I see finance as being able to be that navigator, that navigation system. So yes, you have to um, spend the money on finance, but I guess maybe more to answer your question, there are things that finance can do. If you are, you know, cash flow management is important. Um, revenue forecasting is important. Uh, ways to, if you're, if you take these people who used to spend their time um, entering invoices in for payment and you repurpose them to maybe become more uh, procurement specialists who can negotiate, you know, there's opportunities mm -hmm. for expense reduction. Um, there's also a big, big department uh, now that in a lot of companies, depending on the size and what they do, but fraud and risk is a big part of um, what they do. But if that rolls up under finance, being able to identify fraud, well, that's going to immediately um, add to the bottom line. And when you're not spending your time in these mindless tasks, you can find other ways of, of cost avoidance. But here's a very specific one. And I don't know if this applies to businesses of, of all sizes, but I've been in the kind of the under 25 million in annual revenue space for a while. And one thing that I've seen, and this is on the buy side and the sell side, like, like I mentioned in this industry and then in previous industries, I've been through several transactions and the companies that have good financial systems, if you're on the sell side, you can um, increase the value of the company because in due diligence, you show that you've got, you know, these records and these trends and you, you know, very clear where you're uh, revenues coming from where your cost of goods are sold are and where your expenses are um, and being able to really uh, show the value of the business there. Um, and then, but if you're on the buy side that it increases the value of the business, because if you have these processes in place, if you have a really strong uh, finance department, and when I say finance, I'm also going to talk about the entire back office operations from onboarding of customers to CRM to um tracking, you know, things like customer lifetime value and everything. You can't do these without having this data. And right. if you have this data to people who would be investing in you, whether it's uh, private equity or, or venture capital or whatever you're doing, when you can say, we have, we know all this about our business, we have these processes in place, then that's going to make the investors more likely to uh, invest in you and invest at a higher premium because you could be the uh, the acquirer, you could be the company that is rolling up other companies under you. So there's there's tangible value, and there are things you could do, and you could talk about uh, you know how finance saves you money, trying to prove in you know sort of uh, pay for your whole department. I don't, it could be a losing battle. I don't think anyone's going to say that finance is not necessary. But then to the last two examples I gave, I think you can also show the valuation of the business by having a really strong finance and back office operations department that it increases the value of the entire business. And there's some intellectual IP and everything, but I'm, I feel like I'm rambling now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I mean, uh, sounds like you've, you've, you've done this before and you've made this point before. And my, my question was going to be like, 
how do you prove the ROI of your finance team? What's your, you know, strategy for that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, that's what I just told you is what I would tell a CEO or an investor. And I would say, and then for, for my finance team, I talk about, look, you need to give me these resources and let me have access to these resources. And I guess one thing I want to throw in here is another thing. And it, if you read the book, it's I talk about democratization of data, and that is really important to me. I don't ever want finance to be the gatekeeper. No one in the in the company should be the gatekeeper of information. But as mm-hmm. far as aggregating it and sort of being this chief data officer and providing all the information, it's like if we make sure that we have good, reliable data and we're um, overseeing that with you know with support with working with IT and the other departments in, in concert, but then making it available, not just they can come to us and get a report, but through dashboards and in ways that whether I'm, regardless of the department I'm in, that I can get access to that data. Um, that's really, that's when you've uh, fully transformed the company and, you've, and you're in this data-driven place that is not just, well, let's go to the CDO or let's go to the CFO or whoever and see if we can get this information, but um, have everyone have access to this. So people, whether you're at a C level or a director level or a frontline employee or an analyst being able to come up with, um, you know, run tests on, on the data and um, find business intelligence out of it. That's sort of the nirvana, business nirvana for me. Well, and that's music to our ears because of course, NetSuite is all about making sure everybody across the organization, you know, it, it has access to that data and that information to make the critical decisions in their role to improve, you know, and, and help grow the business. Um, but of course, if you have a business based completely on uh, like this is based on businesses who are really do dive into the data and who have a handle on their data and who know how to use their data to like what we talked about earlier, use their data to make the right decisions. But realistically, a lot of companies can't make that happen. Like we talked about a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, leaders and and decision makers struggle to really make sense of their data. Um, so I guess to kind of start, and I want to go into this a bit deeper after, but to start like for the more practical side of the equation, what advice do you have for companies in really um, helping get their finance teams and finance leaders in attaining some of those skills and really being able to extract data and understand it. Yeah. uh, Kendall, this is really, I mean, it's, this isn't just finance that's having this issue. It's, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's across the board in businesses and here's, I mean, business is hard (laughs) and what I'm about to say is, is hard, (laughs) but I mean, it is the availability, uh, you know, I, I think that if we're depending on how you define them, we're either in the, the fourth or fifth industrial revolution, you know, going back to the 18th century of, you know, the coal revolution. And then it was um, it going through the other and then up through the 20th century with electronics and computers. And then uh, we're either, uh, depending on whose definition you use, we're either uh fully in the fourth revolution now, or maybe we're at the beginning of the, the fifth revolution, which would be uh, human intelligence and artificial intelligence working together. But um, so right now, I mean, I could, I could argue how any business would benefit from um, 
collecting data. And mm-hmm. uh, whether you're a food truck or um, or or Netflix or Amazon, um, you know, whatever. And obviously the 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 Facebook, Amazon, um, uh, Netflix, Google. You know, they've got the greatest access to data. I mean, that's why the Facebook algorithms are so amazingly good at, uh, you know, putting content out there that, um, is engaging. And we, we know the whole the latest news with Facebook that they're also, you know, there's some ethics issues that they <laughs> maybe should. And that's, that's a whole, that could be a whole other podcast. I was about to say, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. You mean, as soon as um, the words slippers come out of my mouth, I see them all over yep. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but I guess, um, we have to find ways and that's going to be interesting. And I think that NetSuite would be, I mean, there's an opportunity there. I think about QuickBooks when it came out, you know, all these small businesses never had access to any uh, kind of uh, tool like that before. And then, um, you know, suddenly every mom and pop place in the world could have um, accounting, but someone is going to figure out, and it could be Oracle, um, a way that, for even small businesses, because even at, at a very small level, they don't have access to all this data. Um, I can talk about ways that even if you had a, like I said, a, a food truck, you know, there's interesting data that you could collect where you could start finding correlations between, I don't know, weather, time of day, where the food truck is parked and, you know, things that drive sales, time of year, temperature. Um, y- you can find features um to support data that will support your business, you just have to track it somewhere. And if you don't have the software, obviously you're not going to keep a spiral notebook. With, you know that, that's very hard to run algorithms on on that. But any business that you're in, there is publicly available data, and then there's data about your business. And the models don't have to be super complex to start with. We don't have to be, uh, you know, trying to win the um, the, the Netflix million dollar prize for recommending movies. It can just be, Hey, uh, we see that our business goes up, um, when the temperature is below 90 degrees or whatever, you know, pick your example. So it's, uh, it is difficult to gather the data. Uh, but every business has some kind of data that they can collect. And it's a question of how they're going to collect it and how they're going to integrate it. And for me, for my business now, it was NetSuite was the uh, perfect tool to use to start collecting that data. And then it's what we do with it. And as far as the team goes, um, I, if you're going to be in the business world right now, I, you know, the, the, the pace of technological change, no one has the luxury or they, they won't for long of being able to rest on their laurels and not keeping up with this. So, um, you've, you've got to start, you've got to start understanding as a business person, regardless of your role, what is the impact of artificial intelligence and machine learning? How are my competitors using it? And what do I need to do? And what do I need to learn to be able to use it for this business? Well, and I think, you know, uh, a question we, we, you're sitting here talking about NetSuite and the impact NetSuite can have and, and how, of course it, enables you to have access to that data and really understand the data in ways that are meaningful, impactful, and help you really drive, um, important decision-making. Um, but I think the question comes in a lot is at what point are spreadsheets or QuickBooks or any of these other tools not going to cut it? And when, when do I need to start investing? Like you said, you know, it's, 
what size or what, what milestone, what have you is when do you need to start investing in technology like that? Um, and I think that's a question we hear all the time from, from our prospect and customer base. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I know for me, I mean, there's the short answer is, is this. So, I mean, if you are a small mom and pop business, if you're a, um, you know, donut shop or a nail salon or something that you're, you know, you have your business and that's what you do, then I, you know, how much everybody can benefit from data, but you're kind of in this box and you know that if you have a single donut store location, then probably the, you know, you're not going to spend the money on a, a full ERP system. So, you know, QuickBooks online probably just makes sense for you, or you've just got your quarterly bookkeeper that, you know, comes and plugs things in and you don't think about your accounting. But the difference between, to me, a, a, a small business and a startup is the startup is looking to scale, to get that exponential mm-hmm. growth. And the company where I am now, we're not there uh, with the exponent. Well, actually, that's not true. We've had a, a couple of really strong years of growth, but we want to get even bigger. And we want to grow even faster. And we weren't going to do it with the old tools. So investing in an ERP system is like it's, it's a capital investment and you don't want to wait until you're already in that hockey stick part of growth to be trying to switch your accounting system and your uh, CRM and your uh, project management tools. So we're making this investment in the business now. And this this is what I would advise anyone to get ready for growth, get your systems in place first so that you can handle it when it happens, because you don't want to be, you know, building the airplane while you're flying. Yeah. Oh, we hear that. <laughs> what I think our metaphor is um you don't want to be building the car while you're while you're speeding down the highway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So that's uh yeah, I that's again, we we hear this a lot. A lot of a lot of times our customers invested in NetSuite when they had a growth mentality and and could see that they need they were going to need a system that could scale with them. Um, and so it it was the right time, like you said, to do it before you hit that hockey stick. Um, it's uh the right time to do it. Now, uh, Glenn, I have a question for you. And we see with NetSuite, uh, it, it does make things a lot easier in terms of technology and automation and taking a lot of data and bringing it down to a more accessible level. And, and that kind of ties in to the theme of your book and uh, in our conversation right now. And it's that the better you understand technology, the better you can understand your company and what it needs and collaborate with other teams. It's important to be a technology-minded CFO, but what is realistic here for finance executives? What what do they really need to know or do? And what's kind of the easiest way for them to get there? As much as we'd like this to be, you need to know that NetSuite is the best for your business. Um, you know, we, we want to keep it real here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, NetSuite or it, it is a great tool, but what are you going to, what are you going to do with it? And there's, you know, there's NetSuite out of the box, but then there's, um, understanding what NetSuite is or what the structure of your data is. So do you need to go like get a, a master's degree in, uh, you know, computer development, and computer science, no. Um, but the easiest thing is, that you have to do is understand how 
relational databases work and how uh, unstructured data works and understand mm -hmm. the data that's out there and how you can get to it and what you can do with it. So that's understanding APIs that link, mm -hmm. you know, whatever system you're using to another system, to another tool, to exporting data from one system to another, and then uh, understanding how databases work. And I'm a, uh, I always say if I had to sit in front of a blinking cursor, then somebody's, you know, to, <laughs> to do my job, then somebody's made a horrible mistake. Um, but I'm, you know, it takes me a long time, but I can write a database query. It just, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it would make, make a, a true database person cringe looking at me. But when you understand how that works, then you know how to get to the data, but that's only the, the first piece. I think that another, the next level for part of the skill set of the new age CFO is you have to be a statistician and a data scientist, meaning you don't have to be the data engineer that goes and, and builds the algorithms and everything, but you have to understand the value of the algorithms and what it is, what's the difference between uh, machine learning and deep learning and artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. And these are all things that, I mean, this is going to sound flippant, but I mean, as simple as YouTube videos. I mean, there's so much information out there. And I think that's probably how I got started on uh, AI and ML is just watching a bunch of YouTube videos. But then there's Coursera and there's the other online uh, learning platforms where you could even take these courses for free. If you don't want the fancy certificate to put on your LinkedIn, you can take the courses for free. And uh, yeah, you get to a certain age and you've gotten your degree and your master's degree and you're a professional and you have kids and all that. But like I was saying earlier, that was good then. What are you? What have you done for me lately? You've got to keep up with the technology. So, and by you, I mean everyone in the finance department and really across the the business because it is moving so fast. So, as far as what's realistic to expect, everyone on my team needs to know how to use. I mean, and my industry is a little different because we are, you know, we use machine learning in our actual customer facing products. But everyone on my team needs to understand this, and they need to have a basic understanding of data science um, so that we can know that I'm not the only one that's standing on my soapbox and preaching this and I, I don't have the team in place. So I'm, I'm upskilling and reskilling some people on my team. I'd love it if uh, we get down, you know, if I, this time next year, if I've been able to actually hire a full-time data scientist on my team, I, I'm not there yet, but mm -hmm. as we work to get there, everybody's got to kind of cross skill and it's, um, it's fun to collaborate once you can get not just my department, but the other departments in the company uh, to see the value of this, it's it's been fun to collaborate about what this new business intelligence platform will be once we get there. So, of course, yes, the, the future, looking ahead and seeing what you can accomplish with this information um, and this level of technology is amazing. But getting that especially cross-organizational buy-in on digitization, as you called it earlier, digital transformation, which is the term everybody's been using for the past several years. And um, our, our SVP, Jason Maynard, would kill me knowing that I said it on this podcast, but it's, it's you know, digital transformation has become the kind of catch-all. Um, now, before we, we get into steps about how to get, you know, cross-organizational buy-in on digitization, Let's let's take a step back for a second. And I actually want to ask you, um, just curious to get your thoughts. What is digital transformation to you and what is it not? Um, you know, I think a, a, a more precise definition coming from you just just to hear your take on it would be 
um, interesting to hear. Yeah, Kendall, I love this question, and here because I because I've used I use this word a lot because it just it's one of those earworm kind right. of things, and but it's a misnomer. And here's so you could have done a digital transformation like I talked about when you in the '90s when you moved to uh, you know moved accounting to uh, your desktop computers or to a, yeah. a corporate server. It's not a transformation because that implies it's one and done. It's an evolution and it's the evolution is happening faster and faster. So I need to actually, I really, I, I do love this question. And I understand why people get burned out on it because what digital transformation means one thing in, in, in the 2020s, it meant something yeah. different in the teens and before that. Yep. So, and it's never going to be done. So right. let's not put it out there. Like we've got to digitally transform our company. It's really, it's, we've got to, capitalize on and use the latest and greatest tools that are available to us. And they're increasingly more difficult to understand, but they make our lives increasingly easier. So the challenge for us across the board is how do we keep up with this technology and how do we use it? So it's more of an evolution than a transformation because- you, I was just thinking yeah. that. <laughs> I guess what would we call this continual continuous digital evolution? Like this is yeah. not gonna, it's, you know, I've been in social media for um, a good portion of my career as well. And that's the same thing with social media. Like everybody thinks, oh, you come up with a social strategy and then you're good to go. But guess what? That algorithm is changing every couple months. You constantly yeah. have to evolve with it. And obviously, you know, in technology, the same, the same thing is true. It's, it's always going to continue to get to, to, to evolve and change and, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep up with that. Right. Um, and you gotta get buy-in from your team. <laughs> and I think that is probably, you know, to wrap things up here. I think our, our, our last question, I know Megan and I have chatted about this, um, a little bit leading into this podcast, but, um, cross-functional cross-organizational buy-in is not always easy. So how do you, how do you approach that? Um, or what advice do you have in approaching that with, with the company? So I do go into this in detail in the book, and I'm uh, I'm going to say it's a lot a lot easier if you have a C in your title, <laughs> but if you don't, what I talk about is small wins and going to other people. You know, it's almost like citizen development, and some companies really try to shut this down, and I, that's a whole other podcast too. But if you can, so someone from finance, someone from sales, someone from operations, get together. They, they see the value of a data-driven company and they look for small wins that they can do. So I talk about building this sort of uh, uh, guerrilla team, this groundswell team that is from functional people in the groups that are aware of what's going on and aware of the, the value that's out there. And then if you can have something that it's not just Bob in finance and Mary in sales, you know, coming up with these... Um, ideas that may seem far-fetched, but if you could find these small wins and you have a, a cross-functional group and then you, and then, you know, so you take that, assuming you're, this could be just frontline level employees, uh, you come up with these strategies and then you find who the champion is. Is it, uh, you know, is it the IT guy? Who's the person right. that you can help run it up? But um, finding these small wins is a big way to start getting support early on. If you've got a management team that doesn't understand why do we need to do this? You know, things are fine the way they are. It's about showing these simple, small victories and then kind of 
helping them see the roadmap in the future of um, what's possible. Yeah, taking those small wins, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, something you said in the book that made me chuckle. It's the taking a small bite at the elephant. Um, it all seems so overwhelming, but just like little by little, uh, yep. we'll get there. So you briefly mentioned uh, one challenge that you see, which I think is common in a lot of businesses. It's, well, we're fine. So why do we have to do this? But then you have a major event or even something smaller come along, for instance, COVID, and all of a sudden things aren't fine and you're kind of rushing along trying to catch up and pick up pace. So are there any other common challenges that companies face with getting buy-in and and how can uh, how can they be more proactive in handling them? Yeah, I mean, I I think the biggest challenge is if leadership doesn't see the value. If it's you know we we're a manufacturing company and we manufacture things this way and we've done it for all these years and we're consistent and we're not going to go just change the way the company works and they they don't see the value of it. That's the the biggest challenge to overcome. And that's you know I don't. <laughs> I don't know. There's not a magic bullet for that. It's uh, you have to be, you know, part psychologist and storyteller <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, beyond that, there's cost and ROI. It just as finance would hold any other group accountable for the ROI, um, and it can be difficult to say uh, that you're, uh, you know, trying to justify a spend either in headcount or in new software or whatever it is when uh, and if you've got someone who's reluctant to buy in on that and they're saying, well, I don't understand what is this good as that we don't have now. I think it's uh, if you can point to people in your industry who are using uh, data science and business analytics to an advantage, that's great, but it's, you know, depending on the industry, it may be hard to find that. So really it takes someone in the company and you hope it's at the highest level so that it can permeate through the company, but someone in the company has to have that vision and see the value in it. Um, and that's why, but if you, if you get behind on keeping up with the latest technology, then you don't even know what's possible. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think education and, and j- just like with anything else in business, it's, you know, it's having that strategic vision, understanding the landscape and s- sort of seeing a way to carve your path through it. So we've sat here and we're, we're coming to the end of our, our recording. Um, time flies when you're having fun, of course. Um, but I, you know, you've, you've told me and you've told our audience the ways in which to be better in finance, to be a better CFO. I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit. And I'm going to conclude here with a final question, which is what skill or area do you think you need to improve on to be better in your CFO role? And then from that, what advice would you share for up and coming CFOs? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I think uh, the, the last thing we want to do is uh, suffer from hubris that makes us blind to where our, our faults are. And I think, you know, <laughs> so um, I think that there is a danger for anyone at the CFO level of you get so far removed um, from the day-to-day operations mm-hmm. that you sort of overlook the, the fundamentals of, of how the finance department works. So I think it's important for, and, and I'm guilty of this as well. I mean, it's been a, a busy year between opening offices and in, in other countries and trying to uh, learn about things that I've, I've never dealt with international companies before. So, uh, you know, transfer pricing, and there's been all kinds of interesting, like dealing with uh, German tax authorities has been <laughs> really interesting, but um, 
I think that um, staying in contact with the entire finance department and understanding, you know, and looking at the trial balance every month, digging into the stuff that uh, you, you know, that you didn't have to, uh, that you don't have to do anymore because someone else is, you don't want to lose touch with that. Um, but I also think, uh, you know, and then there's of course the ongoing changes to tax law or whatever that may impact your business. And I guess the biggest thing for me is that I have to stay vigilant, um, not just about the industry that I'm in, but about the tools and software that are out there and, uh, don't just rest on, um, well, this worked fine last year, so it's what we're going to do in the future. So my advice would be um, stay in contact with your entire team, understand the processes you're doing, understand where the bottlenecks are, uh, because that's an area for improvement um, and uh, keeping, you know, keep abreast of the newest technology and um, what's going on, not just in your industry, but in, um, in finance, software and technology in general. That's great. What what a way to end, Glenn. Thank you so much. Um, I guess the only thing I want to ask is there anything anything else you'd want to add before we sign off here? Um, no, I think that's I think we covered it. This has been a great conversation. I think I rambled on longer than you guys were saying you wanted me to. So I apologize. Oh no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we love to hear it. We we love to kind of delve into people's thoughts on this and really get into the nitty gritty details. So we we really enjoyed it. Yeah, this has been great. Wow. What a great conversation with Glenn. I think I could have kept talking to him for like so much longer. Um, I loved that advice on making sure you have the right systems in place before it's too late. I think the metaphor Glenn used was you don't want to build the plane while you're flying it. And I think that's so important. And that's a, that's again, like I said, in the episodes, that's a conversation we have a lot with our, with our customer base. Right. And I just loved hearing more about his background and really how that shaped the CFO that he is today. It's incredibly fascinating and he's got a really uh, diverse amount of experience. Yeah, I know. I love that he started as a journalist. I'm like, maybe I'll be a CFO one day. Just kidding. I'm not a a numbers person. But But, hey, I love to hear it. So thank you so much to Glenn Hopper for joining us on this episode. And if you're tuning in right now and you want to hear more from him and even jump into the hot seat with some interview questions yourselves, make sure you join our webinar with him on January 12th. I've left a link in the description of this episode to register. And I also, Megan, want to be sure before we sign off here to thank you again for co-hosting with me. We'll have to do this again sometime for sure. Oh, I would love that. Thank you again for having me. I also want to thank our editing crew over at Lampstand in Oklahoma City. I don't know if you guys caught that, but that's the one other city. I think if I was to move out of LA, Oklahoma City and Nashville are my my two hotspots. Don't ask why. I mean, Nashville, music, Oklahoma. I just think the people are the best. So Lampstand, all of you over in OKC, thank you. And as always, to all of you for tuning in. Don't ever miss episodes like this one by subscribing to our channel. And hey, if you have some time, give us a rating and review um, and we would greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.